0: There are fewer than 30 men in the world qualified to drive Formula One. A mere half dozen, perhaps, to win. At this moment, I'm inclined to think you're not one of them. You want to
1: keep up the good work, and there you have it. There you go. Welcome to F1Weekly.com. My name is Clark Rogers, I'm the host of the program. I'll be joined by Nasser Hamid, my co host. This is podcast number 1010, September 18th, 2023. Nasser,
2: thank you, sir. I say. Spanish Armada Sings Dutch Regatta in the Marina Bay. Liam Lawson in the points. George Russell in the Wall of Voodoo. Dr. Marco gets a Glenfry Fry CD from the FIA. We shall explain gladly. Back to you, Mr. Don Henley of Podcasting.
1: Thank you, Nasser. On today's program, boom! The streak is over And that smile on Toto's face was so beautiful right before the Grand Prix start. I loved it. The FIA announced a clampdown on flexi-wing and flexi-floors. The next thing you know, Red Bull is qualifying 11th. Not sure what that means, but some people are suspicious. How long will Lance Stroll last? That is the big question, ladies and gentlemen. Because, you know, there's a lot of good young drivers out there, like a proper rookie in Liam Lawson. Awesome drive. I can't believe it. And this week, we have a fresh, right from the factory floor, fresh tech talk with Tim. So get your sign bar and digital calipers ready because it's a good one. And this week's interview It's a two-time Formula One world champion, ladies and gentlemen. You'll have to stay tuned to find out who it is. And just a little reminder, we need your contributions to keep this program on the air. Just click on the Support F1 Weekly tab. You know you want to. Nas, Welcome to the studio. You can still feel the humidity from Singapore, but boy... That refreshing breath of fresh air on the podium. No more, Max. You got a feel for the guy, though, deep down, don't you, Nass?
2: Oh, absolutely. Absolutely, sir. But, man, what a Grand Prix. What a motor race. The closing laps, Mr. Rogers, For like the 2000 Belgian Grand Prix. I came very close to walking out of the room because the pressure in this old age it can be too much and too exciting. The race really came alive in the closing stages, kind of like the Indy 500. Four cars from three teams having, at least for this season, chance of a lifetime to win a race and stop the runaway Red Bull bullet train. And this victory brought back memories of the 1981 Spanish Grand Prix at Harama, when another Ferrari driven by Gilles Villeneuve held off several cars lap after lap and I'm very pleased to tell you, Mr. Rogers, I listened to that co- race live commentary in French on Radio France International back in the day. And that day, Gilles Villeneuve won a race that somebody else should have won. There were several drivers, I think. Watson, Reutemann, Lafitte also made a couple of stabs and trying to pass him, but Villeneuve tell them all. So Carlos Sainz Jr. did the same thing on Sunday in Singapore. Absolute bravo, bravo. Perhaps I should say ole ole. And this is the kind of performance we expect from the greats of Grand Prix racing. Not just driving your heart out, but also engaging brain to make it happen. This is, to borrow a phrase from Miss Kelly Brock's brute commercials, the essence of man. And we can add motor racing to it. And this was Carlito's second Grand Prix win, first of the season which is not won by Red Bull. Very, very impressive. And like you said, they were not even on the podium. As we say here in the Palatial Studios, no package, no delivery. How much did you enjoy this race, Mr. Rogers?
1: It was wonderful. It was awesome. You got to really, I mean, that heat. And, you know, I don't know if you watched the pre-race, but they brought Danica back. You know, she's getting more involved in this stuff. And uh, she was looking pretty good. So I was very impressed. Everybody was in light attire because of the heat and humidity. But it was an awesome race. Awesome qualifying. Not sure what's going on with the Red Bulls. But obviously they got something completely wrong. And sometimes you start doing trial and error out of desperation. When you have a heated driver yelling at everybody and freaking out. You start making mistakes You get the setup wrong on the cars, and boom, there you go. It happens, but the race was wonderful. And I'm so impressed with Sainz kicking it up a notch, because really, we always think of Leclerc as number one at Ferrari, but clearly Sainz has made his father very proud.
2: Indeed, and prancing horse, put an end to the record-smashing performance of Max and Red Bull. Just like there are many hemi haters around the world, it is pretty obvious by looking at social media there are many who are enjoying misery for Max. And this shouldn't surprise anyone, but I do understand a fan's mentality. I've been there. So on Sunday there was dancing in the street from Philadelphia, PA to Singapore. But Mr. Rogers, I have to say this. Had George Russell, now you, you can tell me what would be the case. Had George Russell won this race, and Lewis had crashed on the final lap, don't you think that would be the jolly global Cinco de Mayo celebration? Oh, he only wins when he's on the front row, when he has the best car, and he got lucky 103 times, and somebody else won 50-plus races in an Alfa
1: Tauri. What do you say, Mr. Rogers? Well, I say we need to bring back Mr. Chip. Because Mr. (laughs) Mr. Chip? Who would that be? No, 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 no. We know that a lot of people have that chip. It happens. It's okay. This was a glorious drive by everyone. Even Fernando, hustling, making mistakes, but always in the fray and the fight, even though... They were really suffering. I felt so bad for Aston Martin. And I was thinking, you know how uh, Gunther Steiner was complaining about Mick Schumacher, all the accidents and the big bill at the end of the year. You know, those cars are a little expensive to repair. I wonder if Aston Martin is going to take that fee out of Lance Stroll's paycheck.
2: Yeah, it'll be interesting. And you, uh, talking of uh, Lance Stroll, you mentioned that a couple of young drivers who can use that car. Well, there are a couple of old drivers also who can do a very good job in that car. One of them is already there. So, you know, it's an interesting situation there. But we'll talk about Lance a little bit more in later in the show. Uh, let's do a quickie on Collie, shall we?
1: Gracias, Pedro.
2: And I think this is where the wind was blowing. Uh, by the way, I've never been to Singapore, and I've heard it's a fantastic place. Food is very cheap and delicious because there's a lot of South Asian fusion there. But let me just tell you, from my one trip to the Malaysian Grand Prix, that area is so flippin' hot and steamy that my first reaction was, never again I'm going to watch a race like this. And this was 10 years ago, and I don't know how these drivers do it. But anyway, they do it, and we enjoy it. So, Kali, Q1, top five, listen to this, Singapore Surprise fastest, Yuki Sonoda, so you know right away, right there, and then something is going wrong this weekend. Second, Sergio Paris, then Nico Hülkenberg, fourth, Liam Lawson, and then Kevin Magnussen. When was the last time we saw top five featuring two Haas cars, and Max was ninth. At this stage, with both Red Bull drivers in the top ten, my impression was winning streak will continue for them. After all, Checo did win this race last year, and I don't by this thing that they are sandbagging, teams could be trying a lot of different things. But I had no idea what was coming. Now, what can I say about, gentlemen, you already discussed, my boy, Lollipop, Lance Stroll. You know, we all make mistakes, so we cannot hold this one mistake in Singapore against him. But taking a look at the overall situation, especially comparing his performance this season against his teammate, the old ombre of the sea, it is pretty obvious Lance is not Piranha Pool material. The good news is he's okay, but was MIA on Sunday at Marina Bay. Do you think they will continue with this driver next season?
1: No, because it makes them look silly and they're losing points. I mean, Fernando is consistently in the points. Not only that, but he's the oldest guy on the track. So, I mean, if your teammate cannot at least keep up with you, I mean, look how well Russell does against Lewis. So, You should be saying the other way around. Of course I should. I apologize to the chip. <laughs> but no, it's, there's just no way that Lauren Stroll wants to let this slip away. Especially now they're just getting comfortable in their new facilities. And uh, next year, they could be super competitive, but they've got to they gotta give Fernando help. You know, he needs help up there at the front of the spear. So uh, we'll see what happens. But yeah, he's out of there. I mean, come on. And Logan Sargent, now that Liam is on the scene, Liam does what people should be doing in their rookie season. Take it easy finish the race. Don't do stupid things. Don't crash. And this young man is filling the bill. So I'm very impressed.
2: Yes, sir. Others out in Q1, both Alfa Romeo drivers, Valtteri Bottas and Guan Yu jo, Oscar Piastri, which was a surprise, and Logan Sargent, which was not a surprise. Q2. Now here we had the watershed and Waterloo moment for Red Bull finally arrived. Much like Mercedes on the streets of Singapore a few years ago. Adding insult to injury was Max knocked out by B-team rookie, they just mentioned Liam Lawson. Max called it very shocking experience. Misery loves company. Checo also failed to get into Q3. And in Q3, to borrow a phrase from Signor Maurizio Arrivabene, Ferrari is back. Back-to-back pole position for the prancing horse, courtesy of Carlos Sainz Jr. Tremendous effort from George Russell to put his Mercedes on the front row. The second Ferrari of Charles Leclerc, third. And Mr. Rogers, this I knew was going to be a very exciting race because top three was separated by less than 0.1 second. Advantage, of course, guy on pole. LCH, fifth, half a second slower than pole man, which told me that if you're half a second uh, slower than Regardless of your name being Lois or Max, you're not going to win the race. And his BFF, Machismo, also known as Alonso, was seventh. Outstanding, as you would say, P10 on the grid for Kimi Liam Lawson. In my opinion, this should seal his deal for the second seat at El If the seat goes to Daniel Ricciardo, wonder what they will do with Liam. He is in Japanese super formula this season. I think he's fighting for the championship after spending two seasons in Formula 2. But according to a published report, uh, rumor mill has it that Ricciardo will be the number two driver. Would you like to see Ricciardo or Ricciardo or Liam in the other seat?
1: I don't know. That's a tough call. i like to see a younger guy get a chance, but Ricciardo had some bad luck, as we say. We'll see what happens. But really, you know, after you look at what Sonoda has been doing you know, and he—he he, Sonoda is quick. He can be quick, but his flagrant mistakes, attitude—I mean, Liam should be in that seat next season.
2: Yeah, you know, I was a big fan of Yuki when he was in Formula Three. He was very quick, but he was very abusive towards his team, always yelling, screaming. Anything they would say, "Shut up!" was his instant response. And he hasn't improved much, which, coming from a Japanese driver, is really a big surprise. And I think uh, he and uh, Lance Stroll should, you know, maybe go to Banff National Park in uh, Canada and have a good time. But, you know, as long as uh, they have the F1 engine and the GP2 engine uh, from a Japanese manufacturer, Yuki will be there. Sad but true. Okay, sir, now we talk about the race. The winner, our man, Carlito. Question for you. Being a street race, when Carlito got the jump on George at the start, To me, it was obvious, given his pace and colleague, that it will take a DNF or a massive screw-up by Scuderia to deny him victory. What was your initial impression just after the start of the race?
1: I was very impressed with his start. The start of the race was pretty exciting. I liked how Lewis Hamilton was squeezed, stayed out of trouble, gave back those positions. It took a little while, but he did. But it was a great start for Carlito. Carlito's on it. And Russell had a good start, but... The Ferraris were were just outstanding but really it was all about tire management and when I saw the hard tire really doesn't do that well here but you had to use it so it was interesting it was a great start and Carlito was on form from Friday practice and throughout the whole weekend. Carlito I don't know what's going on it could be a better paella but keep doing it Carlito.
2: Maybe he's the new machismo, and he had the comfort of wingman and some hard-to-pass drivers between himself and Max. But you know, you cannot rule out Max in any race at the start. He has that ability and killer instinct to ruin your race and day if given the slightest of opportunity. But as we have seen, with or without the witness of Mr. Chip, that even the very best need the best because to deliver. And Singapore is a long race, two hours, and there's always a safety car in this race. So I was expecting some shuffling of the order when that happens. Carlito started on medium tires, and Charles Leclerc was the only driver in top 10 on soft tires. And I was surprised he could not mount a serious challenge to his teammate. I guess Carlito had them covered, all covered in this race. Now, his radio message to his team on lap 58 of 62 It's on purpose, regarding Lando behind in DRS zone. Confirmed to me, Carlito was on the Raikkonen program in this race and knew what he was doing. Tremendous driving, both in the beginning and closing stages, and of course in practice and collie. Definitely not bad for a number two. Australia and Belgium are the only two races where Carlito did not score any points. He is now fifth in the championship with 142 points. And it was good to see Frederick Wesser. He's been getting a lot of flack. Uh, This was his first win uh, as team principal. So tremendous day for Scuderia Ferrari. Bells are ringing, I think, still in Maranello. So it's all good. And let's listen to the race winner.
3: A bit of everything today out there. and uh, and An incredible weekend, a perfect race, execution, we didn't get it easy. Obviously, there were we had our own challenges out there today, but uh, we nailed everything that we had to nail today. And uh, we put together a, a very good race to, to bring home that P1 that tastes, honestly, as, as good as it can taste. It's uh, huge, but uh, particularly proud, you know, of uh, putting together a weekend and putting together such a perfect execution also of the race. Not so much about the pace, because we know that this year our pace is going to fluctuate race to race, but mainly trying to execute those races in a perfect manner whenever we have a good chance like we did today. It talks very well about the progress the team is doing and uh, how well we've uh, progressed on that area also. So yeah, very, very happy and uh, had to work hard in some areas with tire deck and, and pace management, but it worked uh, perfectly.
2: Second was Lando Norris. In the closing laps, he did for his ex-teammate what Carliso's current teammate should have done. Best part all battles at the front were pretty much clean of RG bargy, which I was fully expecting. I really thought that both Lewis and George will gang up on Lando and there will be some serious collateral damage. But no Adelaide, no Suzuka, no Monza 2021. What were you thinking in the last three to four laps, Mr. Rogers? Were you expecting a clean
1: finish? I was, and I was really watching George. George sometimes pushes the limit and uh, the way he—I mean, he—and he wanted that so bad. He wanted that podium so bad. And I know he cried deep down when he crashed and made that mistake. And Lando made the the same mistake, just not as severe. But uh, it was fascinating, and it was great for Lewis. And it's funny because Lewis had told his team to tell George to pick up the pace. Now I don't know if George was told to pick up the pace when he was on the pace. So intriguing, but. That simple message telling George that he's off the pace maybe irked him and caused him to make the mistake. So Lewis is a sneaky guy deep down inside.
2: Uh Uh-oh. Here comes the sour chip again. I'm not surprised. But once George had played all his cards by the final lap, it was pretty obvious science will get this one. This was Lando Norris's third podium of the season, and all three podium finishes have been on the second step. Others were in the home Grand Prix at Silverstone and Hungaro Ring. And Mr. Norris lost his chance to win his first Grand Prix at Sochi in a rainy Russian roulette in 2021. After Singapore, he is eight in the championship with 97 points. After the race, he was a happy chappy, and this is what he had to say.
3: A great race. Um, definitely helped by Carlos uh, in the end. I knew, I think he knew it was the best thing for him. It wasn't just that he wanted to, me to have a P2 and to stand next to each other on the podium, but the best chance for him to finish first was to help me out and, and keep me behind him. So, I think the pace was there. like I could have kept, kept up with him. But I, I kind of expected George to get past me, uh, just out of the corner, because I, I lost the rear completely. But I just had a little bit more straight-line speed for once. <laughs> and I uh, managed to stay ahead of him. So, uh, stressful. The last 5-10 laps were I was just dripping with sweat, getting my eyes, stinging. But, um, yeah, so happy for, of course, for, for the whole team.
2: Third man on the podium, everybody's favorite, Lewis Hamilton. LCH played second banana to his teammate George, most of the weekend. In the closing stages, after both cars put on new tyres, They were charging and seriously threatening to take victory from Ferrari. Well, you know, when this was going on, I thought how wonderful it would be if out of nowhere Mercedes takes the win. Whether it was George or whether Lewis Hamilton, it would have been great. But at the same time, I was feeling very guilty thinking that way because Carlos Sainz really deserved this victory. And George was in the hot seat with Lewis all over him, like a cheap Tommy Hilfiger suit if there is such a thing. I think if Lando Norris had helped his fellow Brit and let George go by with two laps to go, Carlito would have been in deep doo-doo. Instead, George goes into the wall of voodoo. This promoted Lois to the podium. And of course, you take the podium steps as they come. Here's looking at you, Kovalainen. Third place for Lois was his fifth podium of the season, number 196 of his career. Leading the category by a wide margin, Schumacher is second on 155. Okay, LCH had the fastest lap of the race. He is currently third in the championship with 180 points. He has delivered points to the team in each and every race of the season so far. And I have to say, you know, I mean, fans are fans. But when you look on Facebook, social media, whatever, I mean, some people just go, I would say, very, very deep, like desperation in what they write. And I'm not saying it was, and it could be about Lewis and it was also in some cases about Max. But it's pretty sad to see passionate fans of Formula One going to the gutter, but to each his own. Now, needless to say, George was very emotional after throwing away a podium finish, if not a win. Here he is huffing and puffing, listener discretion advised.
4: Ah! Uh, no! No!
2: Fuck! Fuck! What the fuck? Have you listened to this thing? Yes. Okay, so if you want to bleep something, that's fine with me. Okay, fourth for Charles Leclerc. Like Monza, he was the first driver off the podium. And like LCH, Leclerc, Leclerc was also playing second fiddle to his teammate, all weekend long. Looks like he is still not too thrilled how Ferrari executes race and pit stop strategy. And it's it's interesting here is uh, communication with the team. The positive is Prancing Horse is out of the doghouse and at least they have a winning horse in the stable this season. In the long run, I still think Schaal will be the keeper at Ferrari as too many rumors are floating around of signs Jr. moving to Audi F1 project sooner or later. Leclerc best finish this season, second is in Austria, and he's sixth in the championship with 123 points. But, you know, I'm beginning to feel that if Ferrari keeps improving and they start winning regular, on a regular basis, uh, Carlos Sainz Jr. may take a leave from his compadre Alex Palou, and at the last minute tell Audi and Andrea Seidel, uh, sorry, I'm not coming. Now we'll see how that works out in a couple of seasons. Okay sir, all rise for the driver in fifth. Soon to be three time world champion Max Verstappen. Totally offbeat and off base all weekend like Mercedes some years ago at the same location. And just like Nando, just like Lewis, I am sure he did not accidentally hit the delete button on his talent, mega talent file and came up with this performance. I think this was just a one-off situation for Red Bull. A lot has been said about the FIA flexi-wing, flexi-floor down being the reason. But the next race is very different than Singapore street circuit, the mighty Suzuka. I hope I am wrong, but I have a feeling Max and Red Bull will restore normal service at the Japanese Grand Prix. Christian Horner is claiming poor performance was down to set up issues. And let's see what the bento box delivers in Japan. There has been a safety car in Singapore, so I had a very strong feeling there will be one with 20-30 laps to go. And it was going to be a case of who will get lucky and who will get the Isaac CD and get the shaft. For once, very surprisingly, Red Bull ran out of tricks and luck to catch and pass the competition. What was impressive, both cars ran 40 laps on hard tires before making a change. And at one time, Max radioed to the team. It's like racing on ice. After 10 successive wins for Max, this is the first race of the season Max is not even on the podium. He still enjoys a Lane bryant size lead in the championship. 374 points over teammate Checo on 223 points. Sir, what is your take on the remaining races? Do you think Red Bull will suffer or it's back to race win after race win for uh, Max?
1: I gave this a lot of thought. And when you think about it, with somebody like Adrian Newey as your designer, who is a class act, the best in the field, in the world probably, there is just no way he would have or stoop to any kind of trickery or flexi wing or flexi four floor, excuse me, so I believe they will be back at full speed. It was a coincidence, and like luck, you never know when coincidences pop up. So I believe they will be back in style in Japan with free sushi for everybody.
2: Exactly. Sixth, Pierre Gasly, only Alpine in the points, as teammate and compadre Esteban Ocon dropped out on lap 42 of 62. Seventh, Aussie mate Oscar Piastri. His qualifying efforts were hampered by the Landstroll crash, but he made sure both McLaren scored points. He is definitely star of the future. All he needs is a winning package, and he will deliver. Eighth, Sergio Perez. He was involved in an early race, RG Bargy, with Yuki Tsunoda, which put the Japanese driver out of the race. Given how the Red Bull of Love Child was performing, not much expected from the other car. Do you think Sergio Perez will win a race um, before the season is over? No. I unfortunately have to agree with you. Ninth, Lawson, Liam Lawson. This was a very good moment of the race and very well deserved after knocking out Max out of Q2. The Kiwi Wonder scored points in only his third Formula One race. I think his performance on Sunday should close the chapter on Daniel Ricciardo returning to Red Bull, or even AlphaTauri as a full-time driver. But, uh, you know, rumors are floating that Ricciardo will get that drive. We will see what happens. Okay, 10th, Danish driver Kevin Magnussen gave a much-needed point to the team based out of North Carolina aka Haas F1, the all-American team that has never employed an American driver. Which brings us to the American driver in Formula One, Logan Sargent. Like all of the drivers, his performance in Formula One will be judged on what he does today and not what was done in Formula Two or Formula Three in days of yore. Most in Formula One, and you know, when you talk to media people in Formula One, they say that Formula Two is a two-year project for good drivers. So if Formula 2 is a two-year project, common sense dictates Formula 1 should be at least a two-year project also, but that's where the problem is. The window of opportunity in the Piranha Pool is very small. Once you get there you really have to perform ASAP, which basically means at least rattle the cage of your teammate long before halfway through the season, and this is where Sargent is missing a beat. If you look at the performance of Liam Lawson versus his teammate, Yuki Tsunoda, you know right away regarding Sergeant Boca Raton, we have a problem. And that's where he's from, Boca Raton, uh, Florida. His paymasters on the positive side are fellow Americans and hopefully they will give him another year to get going and pick up the pace. Replacing him after the season in the absence of some serious talent in junior formula does not make sense. Mick Schumacher's name is constantly mentioned. The last name may be a great asset to sponsor, whoever, you know, Gulf Oil or whoever they may have. But the question has to be asked, why bring back a driver already dropped by, dropped by Ferrari Driver Academy? What say you? I totally
1: agree. I mean, I think the, the, the problem is, if Mick Schumacher's father was walking around talking to television people, and and living a normal life, it would be a different story. But the pity we have for the Schumachers, and Toto adores this young man. He adores the Schumachers, and a lot of people do. You know, what happened is just terrible, but Mick is just not Michael. I mean, I don't care what you do or how many cars you put him in, he's just not Michael. I mean, there's nothing we can change to help him with that, so
2: yeah and you know he uh, was formula 3 champion in his second year formula 2 champion in his second year what was so interesting in both seasons halfway through the season he was nowhere near top five then all of a sudden he put on these jato rockets and won the championships So great and if you remember uh dan ticter made some smarty pant comments and which pissed off uh Horner and a lot of people but you know what was really telling here's a guy who won formula 2 championship after two seasons did not have a single uh, pole position, if I remember correctly. So he's a good guy, nice kid, and he's pretty quick. But this is not uh, somebody who should be coming back, stepping again into the piranha pool. And shall we uh, take a break now, senor?
1: That's a really good idea, Nas. All this is sort of draining and emotional. So let's take a quick break. And we'll be back with Tech Talk with Tim and the double world champion interview after these brief messages
0: hi i'm nick Heidfeld, and you're listening to f1 weekly
1: welcome back to f1weekly.com clark rogers here your host and now as we spin the globe and go around the world with motorsports mondial and the king the sultan himself nasser hamid
2: Thank you, sir. Today, we start with points to ponder. (laughs) Good news from over the weekend was we have, hopefully, bridge over treble water. Sergio Perez has accepted Dr. Marco's apology. This is good for the sport as we don't need excess baggage in Formula One. The cars are already very heavy. The FIA has confirmed Marco has also received a written warning and been reminded of his responsibilities as a public figure in motorsports in line with their code of ethics. Article 1.2 of the court states, There shall be no discrimination between participants to the FIA activities on the base of race, skin color, gender, sexual orientation, ethnic or social origin, language, religion, philosophical or political opinion, family situation or disability. Okay, I think they should also add uh, and the flavor of chip. My take on this is racing drivers are very determined specialists in surviving the dog-eat-dog war what that Formula One is, which does not make what Dr. Marco said right thing to do. Of course not. Obviously, they just cannot turn off anything and everything from the outside. I think comments like these and comments from Nelson Piquet made over the years about different drivers and their spouses. Professional racing drivers treat them like poking the fuselage of a Virgin Atlantic 747 with a needle. Yes, you may scratch the paint a little bit, but Captain and Tennille in the cockpit will not hear you knocking. Mr. Rogers, what is your take on this? Do you think drivers should destroy a Samsung TV or throw pots and pans in the kitchen when somebody says not so PC thing about them, which is basically a daily occurrence now if you follow any of the social media?
1: Yeah, you have to be thick-skinned. There's so much crap out there. You have to let it roll. And I, I think the apology was apropos... We have to give people a second chance. We all makes, make mistakes when we speak and shoot from the hip. There you go.
2: Now we come to the milestone machismo. Fernando Alonso did not score any points. And Oh, I'm sorry, Mr. Rogers. I should have said milestone machismo is brought to you in part by Frito-Lay because it's coming. Fernando Alonso did not score any points in the Singapore Grand Prix, but he became the first driver to complete 100,000 kilometers of driving, which is about 60,000 miles. So basically, he's like a Toyota Camry going 100,000 kilometers without breaking down, except for some heavy maintenance requiring valve and attitude adjustment in 2007. Thank you very much. Now we come to Sauber to stay Shanghai and Sauna. The Swiss-based team running under the Alfa Romeo name will retain the driver lineup from this season for 2024. Valtteri Bottas will be in his third year with the team and Chinese driver Guan Yu Zhou will continue in Formula One for the second season. When the team becomes Audi, rumor mill has Carlos Sainz Jr. joining the team. Another name linked to the team is homeboy Mick Schumacher a driver not wanted by Ferrari but, and Guntersteiner, Steiner, but enjoying a lot of lovey-dovey from Toto Wolf. And Aussie Bird is singing in my head. Toto, it's called a performance-based promotion. And we did not see that on the final lap of Mick Schumacher's racing career. Sometimes you just got to read the Wikipedia to get the facts. Do you ever go to Wikipedia, Mr. Rogers?
1: All the time, sir, to read up on... Past drivers of uh, the beautiful golden era of Formula One and previous golden eras of racing. So yes, Wikipedia is very good for a quick lesson in facts.
2: You know, I use that a lot, just not just for the Motorsports mondial for when I'm doing research for my calendar and other stuff. And to be honest with you, I have yet to find wrong information on Wikipedia. And I'm going to give you an example if a race ends, like in Florida, the race ends at about 8 o'clock uh, in the morning, okay? So if a race ends at 8 o'clock and 10 minutes, I would say even 6 minutes later, I go on Wikipedia and let's say the race has won, was won by Lando Norris, which would be victory number one. Wikipedia would already be updated. Grand Prix wins one. So, and I've seen that many, many times. It's very, very impressive. So, but, you know, to each his own. Maybe uh Toto Wolf has better things to read. Maybe he's reading the Lewis Hamilton's book.
1: He's reading Fernando's book.
2: Oh yes. Oh yes. Okay. Now we come to Rocket Man. Williams sponsorship court case thrown out after listen to this, after lawyer barred from practicing law. And this is beautiful. So it says here, five months after filing that suit, it has been thrown out of the Florida court after Larry Clayman was found to be ineligible to practice law in the Southern Florida District Court. And this gets even better. Clayman is currently serving an 18-month suspension given to him by the District of Columbia Bar over his handling of a sexual harassment lawsuit initially filed more than a decade ago. Boy One winner deserves another, I have to say. Let's hear what Miss Vicky Lawrence has to say about Southern Lawyer in the song, The Night Lights Went Out in Georgia. Which is one of my all-time favorite country and Western songs. That's
4: a night that the lights went out in Georgia. That's a night that they haunted the innocent man. So don't trust your soul and no backwoods on lawyer. Cause a judge in the town's got bloodstains on his head.
2: Now, Mr. Rogers, you were going to tell me something about the IMSA race at uh, at Indianapolis. Can we get that update, sir?
1: Oh yes, yes. Your friend Penske dominated. The Porsches were awesome. It was very, very fun to watch. You know, because it always reminds me of when Formula One were racing on the road course. Of course, this was the road course. And believe it or not, there was a spin out and a crash in turn in the famous Turn One. And Lee Diffie, I was shocked, but he has a good memory, reminded the audience that's where Ralph Schumacher crashed in his Toyota. So it was funny, it was good, and it was a lot of laughs.
2: That's cool. Shall we invite Mr. Tim to the Palatial Studios to present his new Tech Talk? And this one is very, very interesting. I really enjoyed listening to it. And thank you very much, Tech Talk.
5: Hello, race fans. With Max having won 10 races in a row before having his winning streak broken in Singapore, I was trying to think of some other interesting numbers in F1. Naturally, my mind went to the technical side, and I had fun doing some research and calculations, so I hope you enjoy me sharing them with you. First off, we know that depending on tire compound, a tire can last between a few laps or the majority of an entire race distance, with a minimum race distance being 305 kilometers or 190 miles. But tires don't move in straight lines, they rotate. So how many times does a set of F1 tires rotate in a race? Let's start by looking up the tire diameter, which is 0.72 meters or 2.36 feet. So if you multiply that by pi, you get the circumference, which is the distance a tire rolls in one revolution. If you divide the race distance by the circumference of the tire, you get 135,000 revolutions. What do you think about this? I was pretty surprised by how high that number was. Another type of motion in a car is the reciprocation motion of the pistons. As the car moves forward, the pistons are moving up and down. Well, technically, in a V-shaped engine like a V6, they're moving diagonally. But if you were to sum up the motions of the pistons in their travel, how far does each one move up and down in a race? For this one, I started with the piston stroke distance of 40 millimeters, or 1.6 inches. This is how far up and down the piston actually travels per rotation of the engine crank. If you weren't aware of this before, the stroke distance may seem pretty small, and relative to road cars, it is. I've discussed this in a previous episode, but to summarize, If the stroke were to be larger, this would cause a higher piston speed. And once piston speed approaches the speed of combusting gas in the cylinder, the engine can no longer produce torque because it's not being pushed by that combustion. So high engine RPM actually plays a role in limiting stroke distance. So taking the stroke distance, multiplying it by the engine RPMs, I chose 10,000 as an estimate of average engine RPM since it has to include periods of acceleration, braking, and gear shifts rather than running at the red line all the time. Multiplying that by a 90-minute race duration, multiplying by 2 because the piston moves up as well as back down for every rotation of the engine crank, and finally doing some unit conversions, I got a piston travel of 72 kilometers, or 45 miles. Comparing that to the race distance of the car, We find that the pistons each move up and down about 23% as far during a race as a car moves forward. I think that's pretty impressive for those tiny little parts. And keep in mind that engines need to last about 8 races given the engine cap per season. So that means a piston sees 553 kilometers or 343 miles of racing over its life. And that still only includes Sunday racing and not free practice or qualifying. To put that distance into perspective... 553 kilometers is almost the exact straight-line distance from Spa to Monza. Just imagine a piston inching that distance over its lifetime, propelled by combustion. Speaking of combustion, I have one more interesting number to work out. We know that an F1 car is limited by regulations to 110 kilograms of fuel per race, but combustion requires air as well to deliver oxygen. So how much air does an F1 car use in a race? The specific chemical reaction used by an F1 engine requires about 14.7 times the mass of air as the mass of fuel. This is called an air-fuel ratio. This can be solved for, but I'll leave the math to you. I'm also making a lot of assumptions about the operating mode of the engine here, and for various reasons the air-fuel ratio can be varied. So, multiplying the air-fuel ratio yields a mass of air of 1,617 kilograms, or about 3,600 pounds. By factoring in the density of air at sea level, we can convert this mass to a volume of 1,243 cubic meters, or about 44,000 cubic feet of air. If we factor in the volume of an average bathtub, we can find that F1 cars consume about 5,000 bathtubs of air per race. Keep in mind that this air is only 21% oxygen, So not all of the air undergoes combustion. Other gases in the air, mostly nitrogen, do still pass through the engine and out the exhaust because the engine doesn't separate the oxygen out from the other gases. It seems like there are a few ways to solve for air consumption, though. Think about the airbox of an F1 car moving forward through a race distance. If it's properly designed, it should swallow a tube of air that matches the dimensions of the airbox and is as long as the race distance. I estimated the airbox area, multiplied that by the race distance, and got an estimate of air consumption that was about two and a half times more than my previous estimate based on fuel consumption. When something like this happens in engineering, and you've checked your math, then it usually means that you've made a bad assumption from the start. Thinking about this a little bit, I realized that not all air in the tube ahead of the airbox actually gets swallowed by the airbox. The car itself disturbs the airflow and so the airbox is not 100% efficient at capturing air. Recall back in the 1970s, airboxes were much taller. And this makes sense. The air up high is less disturbed by the car, and so the airbox would be more efficient at collecting air. Regulations changes eventually made these tall airboxes illegal in F1, but this history likely shows there was a compelling technical reason for the airbox placement. And of course I mentioned earlier that I made some assumptions about the operating mode of the engine. So that could also affect the results that I got. Well, I hope you enjoyed the physics homework problems. And now you can all go back to watching the action unfold on the track. Class dismissed.
1: Tim, keep up the good work. Outstanding. I cannot wait for the next Tech Talk. So keep them coming. Nasser?
2: Yes, sir. Okay, Mr. Rogers. Japanese Grand Prix coming up at one of the greatest tracks on Earth, Suzuka, this weekend. And I think, what time is the race on for you? 10 o'clock in the evening? Saturday.
1: Yeah, it. this is where it gets a little confusing. I have to double check everything because when you have college football dominating everything. And speaking of college football, I just want to let you know there's a big rumor that Lewis Hamilton will be at the next big Colorado game hanging around with Coach Prime.
2: Okay, good for him. So what say what say you Who's going to win that race? Your favorite
1: question. Well, Fernando will win this race because of rain and a hectic day. Max, but no, Max will be back at the top. It's going to be fun. Checo will be feeling a lot better. And we'll go back to that stressful look on Toto's face. But Toto's happy. Lewis is on the podium. George is doing a great job. He crashed, but it was an honest mistake. So I think Toto, and Toto, he needs something. Oh, what am I saying? Toto won't be in Japan, did you hear?
2: No, he's got a knee a knee a knee surgery going on, right?
1: Yeah, he's you know he's over fifty, so he's climbing up the ladder of age. And yes, indeed, he was told to avoid ladders, avoid Fernando, and avoid the chip. So he'll stay home in Austria and stick with Strudel.
2: There you go. There you go. Okay, on that happy note, uh, let's invite our two-time world champion into the Palatial Studios. We're going a deep dive into the archives. Go ahead, sir.
1: Oh, absolutely. This is a great introduction. Your introduction. Now, this, this goes way back, 2007, and we're going to be playing some of these early, great interviews that Nasser was really getting on top of in his early years at f one weeklycom You know, he, Nasser was much more motivated in his early years. So it was very exciting. We have a lot of material, folks, and we're going to start busting this stuff out. I mean, we have a lot of stuff. After this, we might have Ove Anderson, Dan Gurney. You'd never know. So stick around. And yes, this is a great interview, Nas. Keep up the good work. Our shout outs last week. Let's get through them now. The podcasters at f1weekly.com. And now... Another fantastic Nasser interview. And, of course, this one is with uh, a fantastic world champion, Mr. Emerson Filippaldi. Nas introduce this interview. Emerson Filippaldi is
2: like Mario Andretti and Roger Penske and Bernie needs no introduction. But I got to tell you, I met this gentleman. He was so willing to talk to me. But thanks to the PR people there, he was hustled away from one place to another. But very kind gentleman. It was very obvious to understand why this man is so popular around the world. 25 years after winning, you know, the world championship. I was, but I was able to talk to him for a few minutes and ask some important questions. So I hope people enjoy this and do understand that, you know, it's just was not possible to talk to him for more time. So I want to thank Mr. Emerson Fittipaldi and hopefully we'll catch up with him some other time, some other place.
6: I'm here with Emerson Fittipaldi. Emerson, you went to England in 1969. 1970, you had won your first Grand Prix. 72, you were world champion so soon. What was the secret, pure racing talents or Lotus 72?
0: Well, I think I was very lucky to meet the right people, the right place, the right time, and it uh, was great to work with Colin Chapman. He was a genius, he was well ahead of everybody
6: else. You have described the first race of 1973 in Buenos Aires as your best win. Uh, please tell us a little bit about that.
0: It was very special because it was um, Jack Stewart ahead of me and Francois Sever driving for Tiro. And the last 10 laps I challenged both. I was able to pass. It was a great challenge with Jack Stewart and Francois Sever. To me, it was my best Grand Prix. Same year
6: in 1973 at Monza, your teammate Ronnie Peterson won the race. Uh, you were expecting him to slow down. Uh, Did that decide you uh, make the decision that you will leave Lotus and go to McLaren? And how did that affect your relationship with um, Chapman? I
0: still have a good relationship with Chapman, but that was the decision. Yes, when that happened, I said I have to go to McLaren.
4: Okay.
6: After your career in Europe, you had tremendous success in the U.S. I have to ask you: What tastes better after winning Indy, orange juice or milk?
0: Well, the orange juice is always better than milk. <laughs> the Florida or Braziliana? Brazilian, Brazilian orange But the Florida
6: orange juice is good, too. Okay. And last question, some thoughts on your friend Ayrton Senna, please. Nah, he was a
0: great friend, a fantastic driver. And uh, motor race never be the same
2: without Ayrton.
1: Thank you very much. Thank you very much, Mr. Filippaldi, for joining F1 Weekly. Back to you, Nath.
2: Okay, sir, finally we come to famous last words. You know what? The chip is very global. Now it's going all the way to South Africa. And this must be of interest to you. 1979 world champion Jody Schechter burst upon the Formula One scene in 1973. And I think it was his second race at Paul Rica. He made a big impact through RG Party with then defending world champion, Emerson Fittipaldi of all the people. He then gave full team victory on debut in Argentina in 1977. Two years later, riding another animal, he became the only world champion from Africa. And today he runs a very successful labor stroke farms in England. And before that, he was in the USA living in Atlanta area. And he started a company called Firearm Training Services, which used to train law enforcement and corporate security people, made a lot of money and sold it and move back to uh, jolly old England. And last week, since he has a big farm, Mr. Rogers, he drove a John Deere on someone who is very dear to quite a few people around the world. Now, this is what he said, and I will quote, and then you can give me your expert opinion. He said, Fernando's obviously very good. I didn't like some of the stuff he did in his early career. I didn't like it very much at all, actually. But he's good. He's aggressive. I don't think he's as good as some of the press think he is. End quote. Your return, slings and arrows, please.
1: Well, Jody, you know, stick to the vegetables that you're growing in England, please. Yeah, I gotta laugh at that because obviously Fernando is still in Formula One. Outpacing everybody. Outmiling everybody. kilometering everybody. Outperforming you, Jody, but that's okay. He might have a thing against Spanish people. We'll see what he says about Carlito. But no, Jody has the right to his opinion, Nasser, and we are an open-minded group here. That's nice to know. Nice to know.
2: Okay, so hopefully we won't be getting a, a season desist letter from FIA in that case.
1: That's true, and I probably lost my coupon discount over at Whole Foods in the produce section.
2: Yeah. And sir, I would like to give a shout out to our mate, uh, the original J.B., Mr. Jason Bentley in Australia, Melbourne, Australia. Uh, he was kind enough to arrange two tickets for the Australian Grand Prix in March next year. And they are grandstand tickets right at the uh, start finish line in the Fangio grandstand. So here's the deal. I told him that if I'm alive and I can get up on my two feet, I'll be sitting next to him for the start of the Australian Grand Prix. It's go, go, go. So I'm working on this program, sir, to go there. And uh, it's a long haul flight. So I have to make at least two or three pit stops. I'm trying to figure out where to stop, how long to stop. But now I don't have to come back reporting to the man or the woman. I have the luxury of time. So hopefully I will make my first trip to Australia. Enjoy Albert Park and uh, hopefully Mount Panorama, Bathurst Circuit. And I definitely want to see Mount Panorama Circuit in Tasmania. So we will see um, what will happen. So once again, thank you to the original JB for taking care of F1 Weekly Familia.
1: And we shall have a good time when we get there. And on that note, Nasser, I want to play my musical Mondial, which is... Two Tickets to Paradise by Eddie Money Nass. You better get him that CD and wish him a wonderful, wonderful day. That's just awesome gift. Good luck, Nasser. You deserve it. You've worked hard for so many years. So keep up the good work. I say go, Fernando, and have a great, great week. Good night.
2: Okay, thank you. Bye-bye.